This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is June 20th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Uh, I'm Rob Usden, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 1987 to 1990. Okay, well, welcome back. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks. So let's remind people, what were the positions or titles that you had uh, at the radio station? So um, uh, I got there in my sophomore year, in my junior year. I was music director, mm-hmm. and then in my senior year, I was kind of that uh, that that semi uh, uh, made up position that get Jeff, Jeff gave me as like assistant program director, and then I was program operations director. Okay, um, I definitely want to get back to talking about that because we touched on it the first time. But let's go back a little bit in time. So you join as a sophomore, you get very involved, and then you go for music director. Can you tell me a little bit about your motivation for applying for that? Um, well, I was always uh, a music chart geek. I was always into top 40 radio. Um, and so I was really just, you know, enamored of the whole, uh, you know, music department and, and getting all the records and, uh, you know, listening to all the new music. And, you know, it was just, you know, the direction that I wanted to go because I wanted to be on, uh, you know, top 40 radio. Um, and so, being in the music department, that that was part of that, you know. Um, so that's really where that came from. Okay. Do you mind talking a little bit about what went into the job of music director at the time? Because I've I've spoken to some people who were there a little bit more recently than we were, and there are marketing companies and internet and now branding and imaging. What was it like as music director uh, in the late eighties? So. It was basically uh, getting all of the records for all of the shows, not just for uh, what we would think of as the college radio experience, you know, which was Airwave, which, of course, uh, you know, that was the thing that everybody loved to focus on, which was, you know, we want to hear all the new music from all of those cool bands that were coming out in the late 80s. But, you know, we really were getting all of the music for all of the shows. So we were getting the jazz records and we were logging in base and we were doing it by hand. Basically we had a binder and we would log in all the records and what day they came in. And, um, you know, we'd get the, the jazz records, we get the classical records. We would get, uh, you know, uh, even sometimes there were polka records that would come in for Basha or whatever music was coming in, we would we would have to log it. And sometimes you get something and you look at it, you didn't really know what it was. Um, so you'd have to listen to it and you know decide who to give it to. Um, that was part of a uh, part of that. Um, and then part of it was, uh, you know, with when the uh, the record labels would call and they would want to uh you know promote this band or that band because that was a lot of what college radio was uh which was promoting all of this new music even though at WRSU we didn't play it uh 24 hours a day um but they would call and we would have to talk to them and you know um basically uh you know listen to them promoting this band or that band and we'd have to you know say hey well you know we think we can get it into rotation or we can't or um you know we're not sure on this band um and you know of course they would always be you know saying wow the band's going to be in your area do you want to do an interview with them Mm -hmm. come down to the station you know there, there was a lot of that going on as well um and you know, that that's what goes into a music department at pretty much any radio station, you know, where you're just uh, getting those those new 
there's new records and you know deciding what should go on the air and what should not so um two things i want to i want to focus on right now you're, you're mentioning records so i'm assuming it's mostly vinyl at this point right uh at that point uh i think we were still pretty much getting vinyl there was not a cd player in the studio at that time um i believe we did start to get cds um but there wasn't a cd player and i think that the record companies kind of figured that uh that you know a, a, a lot of radio stations still weren't actively using cds um because i think that the technology at that point while it wasn't it wasn't brand new um Radio stations didn't always want to take a chance. And of course, if you have a setup where you have, uh, you know, two turntables, um, you know, uh, you're, you're not necessarily going to be, you know, giving that up in favor of CDs when you have all of these records, especially, uh, you know, when you're talking about, uh, you know, a huge library of, of stuff. Um, uh, a radio station is not going to just go and buy a whole library of CDs at that point. Right, so, right. Um, so, so at that point, yeah, I, we might've been getting CDs a little bit here and there, but we didn't even have a CD player in the music office at that point either. So, so if you had to listen to it, if you had a CD player back in the dorm, you'd have to take it back to the dorm and, you know, you, the, the record companies didn't want people having to, you know, be inconvenienced. So, right. How interesting! I, I I'm I'm kind of surprised because I I got there in the in the fall of '90, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure by then there would have been CD players, but I guess they would have been pretty new or at least new to the station. Huh. I remember that uh, some people would bring their CD players down to the station, and someone had gotten uh, uh, the chief engineer or whoever to. Uh, to have a little bit of a, a way to patch them into the patch bay uh, mm. so that they could play the stuff from their CDs. Um, but then you, what you were dealing with was it was on a, uh, uh, on a pot on the, uh, on the board, but you had no remote control. You had no, you know, no, no button or anything that you could push. You'd have right. to reach over to push the button on the, you know, on the CD player. You know, and it wasn't like it. You you you'd basically have to push play and then pause, and then you'd have to push the button. Because I remember somebody, at least one person, having to do that. Um, and you know, you weren't you couldn't put the CD player that close to you. So, um, so it was a little a little bit of a you know a finagling to get that all set up. A little bit of DJ gymna- gymnastics, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing, the other technology is that all these relationships, all this work is being done over the phone. The phone. You have to make calls yeah. to record companies yep. and to promoters and all this kind of stuff, and and so you have to build up, a, I guess, a number of relationships with different companies. Yeah, absolutely. The record labels would call, uh, you know, and I don't remember, you know, any of the the label uh, reps at that, you know, at this point. Um, but definitely, you know, the you know there would be regular people who would call from uh, a lot of the indie labels, you know. Yeah. Um. Uh, I mean, like uh, Rough Trade, and I'm trying to remember some of the others, but they would, they would, they would call, and they'd say hey we've got this new band or we've got this the new album from this band and you know we're hoping you get it on the air and you know things like that 
Wow. And then, and then of course, to go along with that, the, the handwritten uh, uh, phone messages that had a sort yep. of a... Yep, um, absolutely. Uh, so you, you, you write it and pull that off, and then there'd be a... Yeah, it's carbon paper. The carbon paper. Thank <laughs> yes. you. Gosh, it's been a while. It's been a minute. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, man. All right. So it sounds like you had a lot of fun as music director. And you, going into your senior year, you decided to apply for program director. What were you... Yep. Uh, hoping, uh, did you have a vision or an idea for the station at that time? I didn't. And I think that's probably why I didn't get it. I probably wasn't, um, uh, you know, I, I probably didn't have like a big picture view of the station as much. Um, I was really focused on a lot of the music stuff and, uh, program director really had to interact with not just the music that, that was on the air, but with all of the other shows that were on the air. We had a lot of public affairs shows. We had a lot of uh, the ethnic shows. And um, and so it really probably uh, that's probably why I didn't get it. Um, and maybe Jeff didn't see me as probably the the, you know, the the big picture leader that maybe I, you know, he wanted for program director. And I think Rich Radabali got it. So. Um, and you know, I'm also, a re- yeah, you know, I'm also, even though I'm involved in the station, I'm still yeah, a relatively quiet person. Um, mm-hmm. and so he was probably looking for somebody who would have more of a presence as well. So, um, so, you know, but, but in, in Jeff's, uh, infinite, uh, 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 wisdom, um, and in his ability to f- see in people, uh, and see people, uh, for kind of, you know, what their strengths were, he was kind of like, well, we'll give you this other position and you'll be the assistant program director. So you can help out with this and you can help out with uh, the music department still. And, you know, he kind of gave that to me. Um, and I did that for a little while. Um, and then um, uh, the person who was program operations director, who was Rye Williams, she decided to resign from that position. And I took over program operations director. Um, and program operations director is a pretty basic position. Um, you were basically in charge of making sure that all of the uh, pre-recorded stuff uh, made it to the studio uh, for each day. Uh, so all of the, uh, the the pre-recorded public affairs shows that were on Reel to Reel or any of the shows that might need to have an evergreen show run instead of running live. Um, or, you know, uh, sometimes there would be the classics from Hofstra would have like uh, a show, like an opera show or something like that. So that was really dealing with all of the hosts of all of those shows and then making sure that you got their, uh, their tapes and that you got them into the studio. So, I mean, the basics are there, but it's a pretty important position. Oh, definitely. And and it has to be someone who's organized, who is forward thinking, who is able to, like you said, deal with a number of different departments and personalities. So, uh, again, a very important position, uh, but maybe not the glamour position. Exactly. Exactly. So um, what is a story that when you talk about Hofstra Radio, what's a story that you always tell about the station? All right. So this one... Um... Uh, everybody who I know has probably has heard this, although I don't know that a lot of the Hofstra folks have heard the story uh, either in a long time or maybe remember it, um, you know, from the Hofstra folks that I do talk to, they've probably heard the story a bunch of times. But um, and basically, uh, it's the story of how we got to meet Duran Duran because of WRHU. 
Um, uh, the label was uh, promoting a band uh, that was opening for Duran Duran called The Pursuit of Happiness. They're a Canadian band. Um, and they were pretty big in Canada. I mean, they're not huge, but um, they're, they were big enough uh, that the label got them to on the, as the opener on the Duran Duran Big Thing Tour. Wow. Um, and of course, if they're promoting this band uh, to college radio, um, they were basically saying, hey, uh, you want to go to the Duran Duran show? We'll get you backstage and you can interview the Pursuit of Happiness. And we're like, okay, cool. And so it was um, me and Eliana Baslaw, um, who uh, was going to be music director uh, the next year. Uh, so this would have been around spring of, uh, this would be spring of, let's see, 89. Um, so we get tickets to go to Duran Duran and it's in the Nassau Coliseum. So literally, you know, the stones throw from Hofstra, you could practically walk there. Um, and we go and we go backstage, uh, and we go backstage and to interview the pursuit of happiness. So we, we find them, uh, in the green room for the, uh, you know, the opening band. And, um, Ellie has the Morant's cassette recorder with a mic, um, which, you know, lugging that thing around, um, is always a chore. You know, I don't know if you remember those Morant's cassette yeah, recorders. Yeah. Uh, those things were, I mean, they were built as tanks. They were, you know, they were built for abuse. Right. Uh, so they were heavy and, you know, um, and so we go and, you know, we go in the green room and we interview, uh, the pursuit of happiness and they're like, cool, well, enjoy the show. And we're like, okay, well, what do we do now? You know, well, we're backstage. So, you know, we we decide we're going to go see if we can find Duran Duran. And we wander around through the, you know, the, the basically the tunnels of the Nassau Coliseum, <laughs> the backstage areas, and we're wandering around. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of our eye, we see uh, Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran. And we're like, oh, that's Nick. Oh, let's go. You know, and you know, here we are, two college kids, uh, you know, uh, wandering around through the Nassau Coliseum. And we, we kind of follow and we kind of catch up to him. And we're like, hey, you know, uh, and we have backstage passes. So it's not like, it, you know, you, he would be able to say, well, who are you and what are you doing here? Right. Um, but, you know, we're like, hey, you know, can we talk to you? We work for the college radio station that's right down the street. And he's like, oh, yeah, come on, come on, come on. So he takes us to the Duran Duran green room and we go in and, you know, we, 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 we kind of go off in a corner and we interview Nick and then, um, we go, uh, uh, over to Simon. Um, and we do a little bit of a talk of an interview with Simon and then Simon's wife, uh, who is a supermodel, um, comes over and she gives us the side eye. She looks at us and she kind of <laughs> says, she, 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 she's looking at us like, what are these schmoes doing in here? And Simon says, oh, don't, don't, don't worry. He says, well, listen, you have to finish up with them and get, get these cretins out of here, which is literally <laughs> what she said. And so <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, but, but w w w let's finish up. And then, you know, it was like two minutes later. And then and then we left because we were clearly, uh, you know, not to, you know, uh, not going to be welcome after that because of what she was saying. So so this is the story. This is this is what I always tell as, you know, the the we, we got to go 
backstage. We got to meet Duran Duran uh, because of WRHU, you know, um, which was a pretty fun experience. We did interview a lot of other bands, mostly over the phone um, at the station. But um, this was, you know, like a once in a lifetime thing where we just were like, you know, uh, you know, screw it. We're just going to go wander around. If we get thrown out, so be it. But, you know, rather get thrown out because that would have also been a great story <laughs> you right. know, if right. we got thrown out as well. So, um, you know, and what would they have done? Would they have completely thrown us out or just thrown us out back to go see the show anyway? So, yeah. And Duran Duran was huge at that point. Oh, a very big band. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. And and I know other people who were at the station before we were, were among the first to play Duran Duran when they first came to America and were first playing uh, clubs on Long Island and New York City. So uh, yep. Yep. it's interesting, the, the thread that runs through there. Um, thank you for sharing that. Now I'm going to go the other direction. What's a story that you never tell about working at the station? Um, so... I think that this is, I'm trying to think of this as more, this is more about, I wouldn't say this is totally about working at the station, but it's more of a, a story about, uh, about how Jeff actually uh, mentored uh, everybody. And in the, and I'll, it basically it will be a story about how he kind of poked me and kind of mentored me in a certain direction, which um, you, which just showed how Jeff really like if you were at the station all the time, he knew who you were and he knew what your aspirations were. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, you know, when you're in the music department, um, uh, you know, you, 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 and you're getting all the new music and, you know, he, he knew that I was into all this new music. And also whenever we would get uh, billboard magazine or radio and records, uh, magazine in the office, I'd go looking for it. Right. I'm a chart geek. I'm like, I want to see what's going on. Um, and I'm just, you know, all into that. So, uh, whenever that came in and I knew exactly what day it came in, you know, yep. in the mail, yeah. what day it would usually come. Right. Um, uh, I would go looking for it. Um, and so we were in the office and people were talking about what they were going to do for the you know, for the summer and people were talking, it was probably like sometime in March or April, everybody's talking about what they're going to do for the summer. Are you going to intern? Are you going to do this? You're going to do that. Um, And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm just going to end up working at great adventure, go home, work at great adventure. And that's the, uh, you know, and that's all I'm going to do. And, you know, um, and I, and then I'm like, Hey, where's billboard magazine? Did that come in today? And over and Jeff, you know, just quietly uh, looks over at me. He says, Mr. Rosden, you know that Billboard magazine is headquartered in New York City? I said, oh, really? Uh, He said, maybe you should apply for an internship there. And I'm like, light bulb goes off over my head, right? That's like, but Jeff was like basically poking me and saying, hey, listen, don't work at the amusement park for the summer, right. you know, why don't you see if you can get into, you know, this thing that you, you, you love the charts, you love the, you know, he, he kind of, he, he just knew like with, with everybody, he just knew what people were interested in. And so that ended up where I, 
uh, sent my resume. I found out who the director of charts was, and I sent my resume to Billboard magazine. Um, and uh, about two weeks later, I get a call, and it's Michael Ellis, the chart, uh, the, the the director of charts at Billboard magazine. He's like, "Hey, I saw your you, you sent your resume. You're doing interested in an internship. You want to come work in the chart department for the summer?" Wow. And I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> This is like the dream come true, right? And that was all because Jeff poked me just that that one little bit. Um, mm. Just poked me to do that. So, um, And I ended up interning there. I wasn't there uh, full time, but I was there a couple days a week um, working in the chart department, uh, taking, uh, you know, uh, reports from radio stations and taking reports from the record stores and you know, and then I ended up working there after uh, doing the same thing after I graduated, too. So uh, because of the internship. So so I ended up there uh, for four more years um, part time uh, because nothing ever opened up in the chart department. You had to stay there forever. Um, but basically, that was because of Jeff, because Jeff poked me just that little bit. And it was like he knew what I was interested in. So so Jeff had that way of knowing what everybody needed uh, you know, uh, to, uh, to mentor them. And I don't think, I, I don't think I've told that story to uh, very many people at all, because it just was, it was like a passing thing. And then it, until I realized that years later, like that Jeff kind of, you know, pushed me in that direction. So. That's amazing. And you know, the, the thing that so many people said about Jeff and this, seemed to apply just to, to the on air that he was always listening to the station, that he was always paying mm-hmm. attention if you messed yep. up on the air or if there's dead air or something like that. But somehow he would be in that office and listening to the conversations and doing his work and making his phone calls. And he was always picking up on things like that. So I guess he was always listening on multiple levels. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's the thing is that uh, he was not just the professor who sat in the corner who, you know, who didn't really, uh, you know, care what was going on. He cared what was going on with everybody at the station. He absolutely did. And he he you know, he observed every one of us. If you were, um, you know, in that office every day, he observed you. He knew he knew what was going on. He absolutely knew it. It's great stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Um, is there a song or an event or, or some sort of, uh, big thing that defines in your mind, your time at the station? Not really. I can't think of like one specific thing. It was just that era of, you know, uh, uh of the, the late eighties and all of that music and, you know, ex- uh, uh, alternative music was exploding at that point. Um, you know, so all of that, all of that music from all of, from, from that era, um, that we would play first basically, uh, you know, would, would really, uh, you know, just, just be highlighted in my brain, uh, from all of that. Um, mm. I do remember, I do remember one thing that, that happened, which be, you know, at that point we didn't really have a rock and roll show, um, that played like straight ahead rock or straight ahead, you know, it, it, uh, definitely not top 40 stuff. But I remember when uh, Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire came into the uh, uh, to the music office. And that was kind of like, wow, it's a new Billy Joel record. Why did they send this to us? I don't think we ever got a new Billy Joel record. But that one was so like iconic 
and they sent it with a promotional um, newspaper because if you remember the song, it talks about all the events. He basically lists all these events from his lifetime up to that point, and they sent it with a promotional newspaper, uh, which I still have. Um, oh, wow. uh, uh, but uh, but they sent the, basically um, they sent both the vinyl and the CD single, um, and that kind of coming in that that was like that didn't sound like any other record that he had really ever made before so uh, i do remember when that came in and we put it on in the music office and everybody got was really into that so uh, i don't i wouldn't say that was like a defining you know of of my whole time at the station but that would definitely be something that i remember uh coming into the music office yeah i'm sure at this point you and i have both heard that song a thousand times yeah but when yeah. it came out and the rapid fire nature of it it's like well what's he saying here and what's this event and i don't know what that is and you can't just go on your phone and you know mm-hmm. in that era and look mm-hmm. it up yep. you've got to either ask someone or think about it or turn to your parents and say well what was this or what was that mm-hmm. so that must have been yep. fun too yep. yeah yeah well that's neat um to go back a little bit to talk about, you know, applying for program director and not getting it. The, the next question is, you know, did, did you ever have a moment where you felt like leaving or quitting or, or kind of stepping back? And clearly you didn't. You stayed very involved in the station. But was there ever a moment of hesitation or uh, I'm going to try something else? No, I don't think so. I mean, I was still going to be there. You know, I had lots of friends there. It, I, I wanted to be on the air. I wanted to do radio. You know, it was it, it it wasn't a setback for me. It was just a, uh, you know, just, just, uh, yes, there was disappointment, but it was basically, but you know, I'm still going to stay involved. I still need to need to be here. You know, um, I'm still part of that. And, you know, uh, uh, if I'm not program director, that's okay. I can still be on the air. I can still help out with, you know, whatever else is going on. Because if you were at the station, you were helping out with, uh, you know, when, when there would be a polka marathon or, you know, Irish marathon or whatever, you know, there was always something else that needed doing besides just the actual positions, you know? Um, so no, I, 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 I wasn't, uh, ever going to give that up. Mm -hmm. So you've got, um, you know, the moment where you, uh, apply for program director and you wind up as assistant program director and, and then the program operations director, you've got the Duran Duran story. You've got the, the billboard internship is, or one of those maybe like your proudest moment or biggest moment or, or what's something where just, you kind of fill up with pride and go, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I did that. Or was it just sort of being there and being part of the environment? It was really being there and being part of the environment. Um, but there was one other thing that, that I remember that we did that I really, really, uh, enjoyed and felt like being part of that was also kind of something special. Um, which was, we did, um, a radio theater production of our town, uh, the Thornton Wilder, uh, play. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually uh, a really cool thing that we did because it, we actually did it live. Um, so we did it live, like it was actual radio theater, like you would do back in the day. And I was, uh, on the, the team of people who were doing the Foley sound effects for it. Oh, that's fun. Um, and that was just so cool because what we we rehearsed it a lot in the studios, but then we actually not only did we do it live, but we did it, I think, in the little theater, in the smaller theater. Um, and because we did it live, we had an audience as well. Oh, cool. 
And that was just the coolest thing to do live radio theater, just like they would have done back in, uh, you know, back in the early days of radio um, to do that and do it live like that, um, where, you know, if you screwed up, you screwed up if, you know, anything could happen. Um, and the other thing that was so cool about that was Sue had gotten uh, a gentleman who um, uh, had actually worked on radio theater back in the day. Um, and he was our advisor for all of the sound effects. Uh, and so we, we, we learned what you needed to do to make all of those different kinds of sound effects happen. Um, and that was just a cool thing to, to, to be able to do that and do it live. Um, and I remember that, uh, my parents came to, you know, to the live production, you know, um, and to, to be involved with that was just, just the coolest thing. Um, and I don't know, um, uh, who else would remember that. I know that, that we had a lot of people involved in that production because, you know, we had on the engineering side, you know, they were mixing it in the theater and then sending the feed back over to the studio. Um, and then, you know, we had all of the actors who we had gotten, not just from the radio station, but from the theater department to come in and do and, and work with us. And so it ended up being this like multidisciplinary thing that really just, you know, was just the coolest thing to work on. That sounds fantastic. And it sounds like all hands on deck. It sounds like everybody must have been involved on some level. Uh, from the station, or at least at least a large majority of the the active people must have been either uh, on stage or or like you said, doing the foley work in the engineering. I mean, I think we had probably four or five people doing foley because you know when you're talking about doing uh, a production like that, you're not just it's not just a quick little. It's not like you're doing like a comedy show or something where oh we got to have the little you know the little zinger and this and that. No, we were doing it so that it would sound like you know. I remember walking. Uh, in place in a cat litter box uh, to simulate uh, footsteps of somebody walking on like, you know, on like uh, sandy gravel, ground, yeah. you know, gravel and stuff like that. And, you know, I don't remember how many people we had, uh, but we uh, working on everything, but I know we had probably three, four, five, something like that. People just working on the Foley stuff alone. And, you know, just to be able to do that was just, it was just so cool. Very cool. Had you ever done any kind of theater uh, work like that before? Nope. Never done a thing like that. Nope. That's very exciting. That's very cool. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, another sort of big picture question. Is there something that you miss the most about working at the station? Um. I, I, I mean, I stay in touch with some people, but, you know, you had that camaraderie with 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 a lot of people um, around that particular thing that you, uh, you know, that that mission that you that you had to accomplish, which was, you know, keeping this radio station on the air. So, um, you know, you don't necessarily get that when um, you go into, you know, working, um, you know, especially if you don't work in radio or media and which I don't anymore. Um, you know, so, um, so that was, that's kind of a, a bit of a, of a miss, uh, I guess. Um, sort of the but, camaraderie and teamwork. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, you, you get that sometimes depending on what kind of job you're in, but, 
Um, I feel like there's something different, especially about it being in college and being young and being, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, working with all of those people when you're so young and so almost not jaded about, you know, about what radio really, what uh-huh. radio is, uh, because we all know what radio became, you know, so radio is not the same as it was. So, but back then, you know, that was, uh, you know, it was a big deal and it was, uh, uh, you know, to, to work with everybody on that was, was pretty amazing. So, and as we've discussed before, you were at the station a great deal. You're living on campus, you're at the station constantly, you're working on things. So you're, you're in it all the time. It's not necessarily to collect a paycheck or to pay bills. You're doing it because you love it and you love yeah, the people that yeah, you're around. Yeah. yeah. And I was not really involved in any other activities at Hofstra either. So the station was it. You know, I mean, and for for those of us who were were involved all the time, it wasn't just oh, you know, we're there uh, for our shift and we leave. Which there were people who did that. You know, absolutely, there were people who wanted to just be on the air and whatnot. But for us, you know, we would come down, we would eat, we would get our lunch at Bits and Bites and bring it downstairs to eat. We would eat in the music office or eat in the office. Right. Um, we were always there. You know, if it was a, a, a Friday night and you knew who was on the air or whatever, uh, who was on for airwave, you could go down and, and hang out with them, you know, in the studio or whatever. It just it, it was it, it was just the place that you always were. Hmm. I want to jump back for a second. You just triggered a memory uh, of something I wanted to ask earlier. The post-punk progressive pop party by then that was that was really just Saturday nights. And that was Jeff Foss running mm-hmm. things. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I know he brought in a lot of his own music, but I wondered too yep. if you were getting things uh, on vinyl for him for that show as well. Because that was that was a really fertile time for that show. There's a lot of big stuff going on. You know, I almost almost didn't even understand every you know all the music that that he was actually playing. It was almost out of like my purview, like. Um, you know, being a pop top forty guy and then getting involved in like the alternative stuff. But P five was a whole other like animal right um you know whether something would apply to that show or not that was a that was like a real hit or miss thing i i you know i don't know yeah um so i remember that there was also one of the other uh folks there was joanne sierra sierra joanne c and Joanne worked for an importer and I think she was mostly into dance music, but she also, I think got some stuff for him as well. Um, and that was kind of a, a, a thing too, that, that we would get stuff and maybe give it to Joanne first and see if, you know, we, if she wanted it. Uh, I don't remember if she was doing a show or, or, or not, but um, that was another, uh, you know, another memory of, uh, of dealing with, uh, that kind of music, I guess. I don't. I don't fully even remember it. So I recall her show being on Saturday nights. I think from ten to eleven. I think it was called the Perfect Beat. Does that sound yes, right? Yes, you're right. Yes, yeah. yes, you are. And correct. then, and yeah. then Jeff would go yep. from eleven p.m. to three a.m. Yes. on, you're on right. Saturday you're nights. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, if you could time travel back to that time for I don't know sixty seconds. You don't have a ton of time, and you're going to go meet eighteen or nineteen year old Rob. What kind of advice would you give him at that moment? Uh, that's such a hard question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, 
I think I would just basically say just 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 follow your dreams and just just uh, you know uh, for for what you want to do. I mean, I can't really think of anything else that I would really want to tell him. Okay. You know, I mean, as far as advice, like it just it just wouldn't make any sense to to kind of influence myself <laughs> and i'm a sci-fi fan and time travel and all that kind of stuff i'm like uh, i don't think i would want to mess with the timeline you right, know, kind of right. you know so no i don't I, don't, I can't really think of anything that i would really otherwise tell myself okay all right that's fair um one of the big questions i've been getting from a lot of people who've been listening to these interviews is well what are they doing now what happened after college so you mentioned going to work at billboard after you graduate what happened after that and uh and where are you now okay so i worked from 90 to 94 i worked at billboard in the chart department i was a chart researcher um and that was all part-time um you know you to get a position full-time at billboard you would have to stay there forever um uh you know uh you if you could get hired full time, you'd usually end up being a chart manager for a particular chart. Um, and they really picked those people based on their, you know, their knowledge of the music and all of that. So, so that was part time. And then I also um, had sent out demo tapes and I worked at uh, WJRZ at the Jersey Shore, uh, which was a top 40 station. Um, uh, you know, you're in the shadow of New York and Philadelphia and kind of in, you know, Atlantic City. So it's like Ocean County. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was on the air there as a part timer. Um, basically, I filled in pretty much every shift except for the morning show um, and helped with remotes and uh, promotions and all the rest of uh, of that. So that was also part times. And there were times when I would go to go and do the overnight at JRZ if I was filling in. Uh, I'd come home at like 6, 7 a.m. And as you, you can only do when you're 22, 23, uh-huh. 24, you know, and then I would uh, basically uh, get a shower and get on the bus and go work at Billboard all day. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, there were days like that. Absolutely. You know, um, so I did that for like f- like four years. I worked at a couple of other places. There was a place um, that was a satellite music uh, provider called digital planet that i worked at for like a year that was also a part-time thing you know when you're when you're working in radio and trying to get a full-time gig you'll take anything yeah um so i did that for a while and then after that i got to do mornings in vermont um uh, renee depew had gone to do to work at a station up in vermont um that was uh what we would kind of call adult album alternative uh in the industry at this point um and i did mornings there for a year um i did not agree with vermont very much (laughs) um and you know the music was not always my thing because that uh, that it was very folky what i call crunchy granola e music um you would play some classic rock but you know it it just it just wasn't totally my thing. So I did that for a year. Um, came back to New Jersey. Uh, I'm a computer guy. I always worked uh, with, you know, uh, always loved technology and computer stuff. I did some tech support stuff for a while. Then I ended up working with Renee again uh, at a company called Broadcast Architecture, um, which was 
eventually the market research, music research arm of what eventually became uh, Clear Channel. Okay. Um, we produced some uh, some shows for a radio station in Japan. That uh, company was uh, the company that uh, that did a lot of the market research for the smooth jazz radio stations and kind of uh, put smooth jazz on the map during the late '90s uh, into 2000s. Um, so I was managing the smooth jazz libraries for when we would put a station on the air. So I did did that until about 2000. Um, I think that it was whatever um, whatever company it was at that point got bought by another one, and I got laid off from that. Um, and then I ended up going and uh, basically starting out doing tech support again, um, which led to me doing um, uh, some uh, internal classes for the company I was working for uh, on like, you know, some computer stuff, some like Outlook and things like that. And that led to me basically turning to doing IT training, which is what I do now. And I've been doing that ever since. Um, so IT training is really fun uh, because uh, you it, it's kind of radio like right. um, you have to keep people entertained and engaged uh, and um, you have to, uh, you know, uh, know how to relate to people. So I kind of think of it as this, all those skills that I learned from radio, um, I still apply to when I'm doing my training classes and I do training videos and I record audio for the training videos and I record the voiceover. So I'm using a lot of what I used to do in radio, still using it today, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun, you know, it's fun to do that. So. Yeah, as you were as you were going through those things, that I, I I'm I'm hearing like the organizational stuff and then and the foley stuff that you did and being open minded and trying things and uh, the organizational things that you did at Hofstra Radio, all these things kind of followed you through and you found ways to apply them. That's very cool. Yeah, it's it's just uh, it's just one of those uh, those things like you know you you and a lot of and a lot of us uh, you know who worked in the business and then got out of the business. I think a lot of us still use all of those skills in some way, you know, because you understand, uh, you know, uh, how to apply those different things, uh, those things that you learned as part of radio to, to other situations. So, um, you know, but, but definitely the creativity of, you know, putting together, a you know, a training video that, that looks good and that keeps people engaged that that's kind of, you know, still, you know, the, the whole radio program thing is still there. You know, you got to make sure that people are not going to like uh, uh, look at this video and go, oh, this is, this is boring, you know, um, or when I'm in front of a, a class and I'm standing up teaching an Excel concept and I throw out a dad joke or something like that to right. keep them entertained and wake them up. Right. You know, you've got to engage people and keep them entertained or else uh, they will, you know, they'll walk out of the class and go, oh, that was boring. That guy was really bad, you know. So uh, so I always try and, you know, keep people engaged and that 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 it's there's a performing thing in that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of what you were saying and, and ha I, I work in education now and a number of other teachers or people who went into teaching uh, Margot Diekman, Edlin and people like that. They said, when we went to Zoom, when we were remote teaching, it was kind of second nature for a lot of us because we're, we're in front of a microphone and mm -hmm. there's an audience that we yeah. may or may not be able to see. And we've got to hold their attention for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is. And that's, that's just what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Oh, well, this is very cool. Thank you, Rob, so much for sharing your stories and being part of, of the history of Hofstra Radio. And uh, I'm so pleased and I've been grinning ear to ear the whole time. Um, thank you so much. Oh, awesome. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. <laughs>